Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, uh, your host. Uh, thank you for joining me. Happy Thursday uh, to you and yours. Hey, we're almost here. Friday's just around the corner. Uh, fantastic show planned for you today. I got to admit, uh, this is a little bit of a fake smile I'm wearing right now because I was devastated right before the start of the show. Uh, we have a producer uh, by the name of Kristen. Good young man, as far as I know. Uh, you know, a believer, uh, passionate about the show. I made the mistake of asking him about uh, my weight loss. I, I come out here, I walk on set, and he says, Jay, you look smaller today. What, is that jacket fitting? Is that a new jacket you have on? You look smaller. And so that baits me into asking Christian, hey, Christian, uh, what, if you had to guess, what do you think I weigh? And I say, if you get within... Uh, five pounds, I'll give you $20. So I put a little money, a little incentive on the line. And right before I come on the air, Christian says 320. <laughs> I nearly fell out of my chair, uh, but at that weight, I wouldn't have been able to get back up in it. Uh, you know, not that I haven't weighed 320 before, but I'm like, you put all this work in, you lose all this weight, and this kid doesn't lie to me. And so I, I thought for sure he was going to hit me with a 265, uh, a, a, a 275. I, I thought for sure. I, young guy trying to move up the corporate ladder, I thought maybe he, he might even go 245 and just lie to me blatantly. He instead goes the other direction and says, yeah, Whit, I know you lost some weight, but you're still a fat slob. I mean, my God, you're 320 pounds. Where'd you start at, 408? That's basically uh, what he said to me right before the show. So I'm a little shook uh, right now. Uh, and so what I would like for you guys to do, particularly those of you watching on youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock, I want you to either hop in the live chat right now or uh, hop on the comments. I prefer it in the comments. The live chat, you can miss it, goes so fast. Uh, but hop in the comments and put your guess on what weight I am. If you come within five pounds, I'll try to figure out a way to cash app you 20 bucks. All right? So let me, let me stand up a little bit here so you guys can perhaps get a better look. Hopefully I won't unhook myself. Uh, and so, you know, this jacket's a little big. Let me open this jacket up a little bit, uh, move around. Uh, if you had to guess, 
And I'll figure out a way. Somebody, somebody hits it dead on the nose what I weighed this morning. Uh, I'll, I'll maybe cash up you 100 bucks. But uh, while you're doing that in the comments, you're putting your guess in. And, and only one guess per person. If you put more than one guess in, uh, I will eliminate you from the competition. Uh, but also, you know, leave a comment about how great the show is. And, and make sure you hit the subscribe button, make sure you hit the likes. We need like, we need the number of likes to be uh, consistent with what my weight is. So I'm not, I was gonna say how many likes we needed, but I'm not even gonna say, but we need thousands of likes. Uh, so anyway, fantastic show planned for you, despite uh, Christian uh, trying to, you know, knock me off my confidence and swagger and feeling good about myself for all the weight that I've lost. Uh, I'm still gonna do a great show. I don't care uh, that Christian thinks I'm a fat slob and haven't really lost any weight. Uh, I'm gonna soldier on and soldier through. Uh, and so uh, Shamika Michelle will be here. Maj Ture will be here. Shamika and Maj are gonna do something, a little new little um, segment we're gonna try uh, called Make It Make Sense. There's all these crazy things I see over the internet, short videos, clips, or whatever, and I just want someone to make it make sense for me. And, and so Maj Ture and Shamika are gonna uh, show me some clips, and, and then, or I'm gonna show them some clips, and then I'm gonna ask, make it make sense. Help explain, what's going on here? Give me the explanation of how this uh, actually happened, how this was said, what this all says. So I, I can't wait for that. And at some point, you know what? I may, if this little comments thing goes well with the guesses on my weight, I may try to reach into our audience at some point and have you guys come on and try to explain something and try to make something make sense to me. Uh, we'll do that. Uh, but we're going to start, uh, TJ Mo will be uh, my first guest because we're going to start. Uh, by talking about uh, the House of Representatives and their investigation into uh, Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders and the toxic work environment and situation they got there. I I've got a bigger point. I want to broaden out the whole Daniel Snyder discussion. And so I'm going to do it by first uh, starting this fire. And then I'm going to bring TJ Moe in to fan the flame. So, all right, let's get right to it. Uh, Daniel Snyder bought the wrong NFL team in the absolute wrong city. He practices the wrong politics for the political football he purchased 23 years ago. The midterm elections won't save Dan Snyder. That's my prediction. There's a false hope among political conservatives that a Republican landslide in the November elections will halt the persecution of American citizens who refuse to disavow the populist movement powered by Donald Trump. The midterms will slow the persecution in some areas of the country, but nothing will change in our nation's capital. Washington, D.C. is a leftist stronghold filled with government-dependent citizens and devout progressives. The political winds blow one direction in the district. It's a headwind for Daniel Snyder. The city's newspaper of record, The Washington Post, has been tearing into Snyder long before Jeff Bezos gutted it of any semblance of objectivity and fairness. 
Snyder spent the first two decades of his ownership fighting the newspaper over his football team's former nickname, the Redskins. With that battle won, the Post has moved on to casting Snyder as the Harvey Weinstein of professional sports. According to corporate media, Daniel Snyder is racist and sexist. Snyder keeps trying to make peace with enemies who have no interest in a negotiated settlement. He changed the team's name to Commanders, installed his wife as CEO, hired a black team president, a black general manager, a Latino head coach, and filled the organization's senior leadership with four women. Snyder is the poster boy of the left's diversity, inclusion, and equity agenda. It's not enough. It never is. The House of Representatives launched an investigation into Washington's toxic work environment. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, no friend of Snyder's, testified before the House yesterday. Rashida Tlaib, the representative from Detroit, bashed Goodell for not removing Snyder from NFL ownership. Take a look, take a listen to this. I have not seen a workplace in the NFL um, that is anywhere near what we saw in the context of that period of time for the Washington Commanders. Yes or no, are you willing to do more? Yes, of course I'm willing to do more. I never said that we were going to stop. I actually said the opposite. But we you will have the authority to recommend that Dan Snyder be removed as a team owner. Okay, the, you the, can the, recommend the that Dan Snyder be time has as expired. The gentleman may answer her question. Your time has expired. You may answer her question. Should Dan Snyder I, I be removed? I think I'm good. Remove him. Will you remove him? I don't have the authority to remove him. Yep, uh, Dan Snyder brought, bought the wrong football team in the wrong city. He can't win. He's playing a never-ending road game. He's surrounded by political people using him to make a point to Jerry Jones and every other pro sports owner. You want to know why the NFL climbed into bed with the BLM LGBTQ plus alphabet mafia? Look at what's happening to Daniel Snyder. That's not written to suggest Snyder is innocent of the allegations brought against him. Snyder is a rich and powerful man. Wealth and power corrupt. But Snyder is no more or less rich, powerful, and corrupt as Patriots owner Robert Kraft, the old man who likes rubbing tugs. Rich and powerful people, which includes our politicians, would rather virtue signal about integrity than attempt to clean up and control their immoral behavior. You follow what I'm saying? NFL owners, coaches, top executives, and high-profile players are all rich and powerful. They're mostly men. They're weak and live in a society that baits weakness. From the boardroom to the playing field, it's a league filled with Deshaun Watsons and the 2010 version of Ben Roethlisberger. Weak men with excess cash and free time. An idle mind is the devil's playpen. For athletes and the people running athletic leagues, it's wiser to buy Alphabet Mafia life insurance than run around uninsured. Snyder had no insurance. He's a hardcore conservative with a franchise attached to an area completely controlled by progressives. It was just a matter of time before he had a major accident and his wrong thing politics 
put him in the crosshairs. When they're done with Daniel Snyder, Jerry Jones will be next. Jones will be more difficult to take down. He's based in Texas. He has allies throughout the state. He's not playing an away game. What's going on with Snyder reminds me of one of my favorite TV shows, House of Cards. The Kevin Spacey fronted political drama was Netflix versions of HBO's Game of Thrones. Cards and Thrones depicted the evil men and women do in pursuit of political power. Thrones camouflaged its intent, weaving its narrative in fantasy with fire-breathing dragons, ice creatures, and a fictional world. Cards was more direct and relatable. Spacey's character, Frank Underwood, was a South Carolina senator willing to do anything to acquire the presidency. In season one, Underwood murdered his mistress, a female reporter with too much ambition and too little street smarts. Public allegations of Spacey's predatory sexual nature ruined the final season and legacy of House of Cards. Netflix wrote Frank Underwood out of the script, and now it's sort of taboo to discuss the greatness of Cards. The show isn't treated like The Cosby Show. You can still watch Cards on Netflix, and I might rewatch it again this week. Frank Underwood would be impressed with the way Democrat and Republican politicians are using Daniel Snyder to distract from true evil and corruption. Prosecutors are seeking a 30 to 55 year prison sentence for Ghislaine Maxwell, Maxwell, the sex trafficker who set up rich and powerful men with underage girls. Politicians and corporate media have no interest in seeing or disclosing her client list. This is information that could show the public which of our politicians are compromised, susceptible to blackmail, and secret supporters of legalizing pedophilia. Maxwell's client list could reveal the power source of the BLM LGBTQ alphabet mafia. Hmm. Meanwhile, our politicians are pressuring the NFL to remove Daniel Snyder as an owner. It's just another meaningless virtue signal. That's my fire. I, I want to tie it all together just one more time what I'm saying. Why they're virtue signaling and why Black Lives Matter and this whole LGBTQ movement, the Alphabet Mafia, BLM, LGBTQ, the whole Alphabet Mafia, it sells rich and powerful men who have excess cash and excess free time and who, who are prone to immoral sexual behavior, particularly those that choose not to fight it. It sells them insurance. Join our team. Join and support the alphabet mafia. Join the progressive left. And we will immunize you from the consequences of your immoral behavior. That's what's going on. Daniel Snyder has refused to buy that insurance. He stayed a hardcore conservative. He doesn't hide it. They hate it. He's, he's there. His team is based in the Washington, D.C. area. It carries the name of the nation's capital. He's being flogged and beaten up. And again, what I'm telling you is like, and I'm not trying to demonize Robert Kraft. 
But, but again, that rub and tug that, that they busted Robert Kraft getting is an indicator like, well, Robert Kraft, he's got something in common with Deshaun Watson. He thinks with the wrong head, just like Deshaun Watson, and like a lot of men, like, like I used to do, and still occasionally do, but I'm in a fight to try to control my immoral behavior. That's why I wear my Christianity on my sleeve. What the society, what culture has offered is, hey, you don't have to try to fight or control your immoral lust, your sexual misconduct. We have, we have this insurance policy, join the left, join the progressive movement, support Black Lives Matter, support the LGBTQ, and you can do as much immoral sexual stuff as you want. We won't care. Someone could have a client list of all of some of the most powerful people in America. They could have the client list of the men and women who wanted underage girls for sexual conquest. Someone could have that client list and our insurance is so strong that they won't even seek to see it or expose it because they're on the right team. And so Ghislaine Maxwell, she's going to prison. They're not going to ask her, well, who were your clients? Who did you set up these underage girls with? Let's talk about that. No interest. Daniel Snyder, oh, did, did you flirt with a woman in the workplace? We'll bring you in front of Congress. We'll bring you to the House and ask you a bunch of questions. If you refuse, they're now talking about subpoenaing him. We'll bring your commissioner in. We'll launch an entire investigation on the work environment of the Washington Redskins, now the Washington Commanders. The NFL has done one, and now uh, Congress has done one. On a football team, about flirtations, and, and yeah, I'm not trying to defend Daniel Snyder. Maybe he's as bad as the media wants you to believe. There's that, oh, he put his hand in, on a woman's thigh and, and you know, it had to be removed. And he was, I'm not saying any of that's good. You can't find those allegations on me in a work environment. Trust, I, I, I make it a point. You're not getting that dirt on me. I'm not defending it. But I am asking the question, there's information about powerful people being set up by Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell with underage, with children. And our politicians have no interest in exposing that. None. Our media, no interest in exposing that. This is all a game. This is a virtue signal politicians are doing. This whole Daniel Snyder investigation, and we're cleaning up the Redskins football team. Now these politicians and powerful people that were soliciting underage girls, which makes them very vulnerable to blackmail, and it's why there are puppet strings 
on them because people have incredible dirt on them and that's why they can't act on behalf of the American people because of the puppet strings placed on their backs by their sexual immorality? We have no interest in that. And so my argument here is like, Daniel Snyder is in a group of peers and, and he's being flogged and put out there because they know the rest of the NFL, from the players all the way up to the ownership box. They're all easily compromised. Most, I'm not saying all, most of them though, have no more sexual integrity than Robert Kraft, than Deshaun Watson, than Ben Roethlisberger, than Daniel Snyder. It's a group of rich, and powerful, pampered people who are worshipped, all of them. That's why you'll see guys that build their entire identity around their some. I know guys that uh, never played an NFL game. That their entire identity is built around. I had a cup of coffee in the NFL. You go look at their social media bios or whatever, and everything's littered with former NFL player, I got a blue check, and I'm a former NFL player. And, and again, it's because that's the power of the NFL and man's lust to be associated with it because of what is put in front of them and offered to them once they're in that little boys club. So, and I'm just telling the people that are manipulating American society, um, American society, American culture. They know that all these men are compromised. And those men all know they're compromised. And that's why they've bought the Alphabet Mafia insurance. Because it, you buy that insurance, you get exposed, no one cares, everyone looks the other way. Not a big deal, he's on the right team. Over here on this team, sexual impropriety, it's okay, it's legalized. Because you're a good guy. You're a leftist. You're a globalist. All right, uh, uh, that's my fire. Uh, TJ uh, Moe, uh, former SEC football uh, player, played college football with many, many, uh, played with and against many, many NFL players. Trials with the Rams and the... Uh, New England Patriots. TJ, uh, am, I, am I wrong for suggesting that Daniel Snyder, uh, among NFL people from the very top, from ownership all the way down to the players, the assistant coaches, I, I don't find his behavior outside the norm. Uh, I find his allegiance or his unwillingness to hop on board with the alphabet mafia and the progressive left, that's what makes him uh, unique, and that's what makes him a target. I think that's probably true. I do think it depends on what we mean by saying everybody's compromised, because I think what a lot of people would acknowledge is that you're compromised the second you sin. 
Right. And so because that's what we I mean, that was our argument yesterday with Herschel Walker. Right. He did something against what everyone thinks it should be. Uh, and we all agree he should stay in the House. But the left has decided that disqualifies you from being a person they can't attack. Right. It's like there are very few people that have lived in America today that could not be attacked by the woke left. I've lived a pretty good life. They can certainly dig things up on me. I have no doubt. So that we're all compromised. And, um, you know, I, I've been in locker rooms. I was trying to think of we had 127 guys, including walk ons uh, all four years at Missouri. And so, you know, classes in and classes out, there's probably 200 people, maybe seven, eight committed Christians that I would know about. Maybe there's more behind the scenes, but it's like the guys wearing on their sleeves, seven or eight guys. And my view is that if you are not actively seeking after God, you are so screwed because you, we have a sinful nature. You're going to fall into this behavior and the left and the woke left is going to hold it against you forever. And while you may be a Christian to your family and some of your friends and you're falling by the wayside in these other areas, then you'll do whatever it takes to protect what you have. Right. And so if that is buying this insurance that you're talking about, sure whatever it takes to survive, because especially in the NFL, and this is where, this is why I hate that um, we spend so much attention looking after NFL players, most of which are on very shaky ground. They spend the average NFL career, I think is three and a half years. If you actually make a roster, these guys will do whatever it takes to stay on the roster because that's the highest paying job they'll ever have. You know, the, the absolute minimum you're making in the NFL for a rookie is 500 something thousand dollars. It's probably higher than that now. So it's like these guys, it, it'll take them 10, seven, 10, 15 years, depending on the job they get to make that total, you know, that they're going to make just by rolling it out there and playing it stick on the roster. And so these guys are doing whatever it takes. And, and especially if you're lower on the roster, right? Maybe there's 10, 12 guys on each roster that actually matter. Um, if you're at a 53, if, if you're not, you know, if you're one of the 40, you'll say and do anything just to keep that paycheck because that can help you sustain the rest of your life. So I hate that we look to them for virtue. I think Virtually everybody in the NFL this not to go off on a tangent, but it, like if, if you're if you're not actively pursuing your Christian life, you are going to fall. We have a sinful nature and the NFL and social media and these jobs don't lead you for the time that you're going to have to spend to try to actively live that life to stay in the NFL. I can tell you I was not walking my Christian walk very well when I was trying to make it in the NFL. Because as a guy with very minimal talent, I spent every waking second trying to figure out how I could be just good enough to make this roster. Doesn't leave a whole lot of time for thinking about how to be a better husband and to spend time, take an hour in the morning to spend time in the Word. It just doesn't leave time for that. And if, if you're not actively doing that and reinforcing these values that are not popular in culture today, you are going to fall. And then when you fall, they're waiting there to hold it against you. So you have to buy this insurance that you're talking about. And so you become a sellout overnight. TJ, I, I know it was different for you uh, than perhaps me, but part of the selling of sports throughout American culture has been, and you can go all the way back to Broadway Joe Namath, but even before that, the beginning of sports, part of the reason to be 
or it was sold to you. Part of the reason for a guy to be a great athlete, you get the girl. Mm. Girls are attracted to you. We, we celebrated promiscuity in athletics and, and that, you know, athletes, you know, they get the cheerleaders and any girl they want in school and blah, blah. And so anybody with just a layman's understanding of the culture of sports and how attached it is to sex and all the way down to the uniforms in terms of, I think there's a reason why uh, a lot of the outfits, particularly for female athletes, uh, volleyball players and other, to me, they're selling sex appeal. No Mm -hmm. different than a lot of times, like why Michael Jordan was so popular. He had a lot of sex appeal towards women, but sex and sports are packaged together. We're in this Me Too environment of of the media using sexual impropriety to bring down men, what better place to execute that strategy than in the sports world that, again, part of the reason athletes get involved and and is, oh, they get all the women, they got cheerleaders, the whole, sex and sports go together like peanut butter and jelly, and, and I just think the left has figured out how to exploit that relationship. I'm a little outside of my uh, area of expertise here, just to be honest with you. And so you can speak to that better than I can. What I will tell you is that you sent me a sermon uh, from Mike Todd. This is a couple of months ago where he talked about the spirit of mammon. And I think the NFL leads to that to some degree, right? Is the, he says the spirit of mammon is the belief that you don't need God if you have riches. And riches can buy you the sex that you want. And riches can buy you the house that you want and the security, right? It can buy you the best doctors if you get cancer. It's like you feel invincible. So uh, while I can't speak to, you know, the the positions so much that just uh, – that what, maybe I wasn't in the NFL uh, long enough. I, I, and I certainly wasn't in the NFL long enough, but even when I was in college, I, I just, I didn't have tons of girls that I was paying attention to throwing themselves at me. Wasn't my lane. And so, um, I, you know, I sort of have my friend group and whatever. I do know guys struggle with that. And so, but, I, but for me, the riches and the, and the idea of needing security and being able to buy the girls, right? It's like, there's a lot of really ugly rich guys that get girls that are way out of their league. So I think riches come with that as well to get you what you want. So it all plays together. And what you do is the NFL is full of really high potential so far as earnings and what they get um, from women and what they get for um, respect from other people around society. It's full of those people that are in, on incredibly shaky ground who might lose their job tomorrow. And that's a really weird position to be in. It's the most sought after people in America. And you, everybody's, you know, every young kid is dying to be in the NFL. And yet they're the most insecure because they might lose their job tomorrow and have to go be an accountant. So those are people that are really easy to take advantage of. I want to make one final point on this before we transition to something else, but this is really no different than what I've been saying about the left and this insurance policy. This is just another part. You know, you got car insurance, you got homeowners insurance, you got insurance for your motorcycle, but there's all different kinds of insurance. And again, like the left is insurance against sin. 
the alphabet mafia. And so it's no different than when I've argued that the reason to join the left is, oh, you can't call me racist. I'm a Democrat. I'm a liberal. And so if you suffer the sin of racial bias, the easiest way to hide it and to ensure yourself of never being called out on, I can't think of the name of the Virginia governor or uh, there was our politician. Ralph Nordstrom. yeah, what yep. he called in a blackface, yep. KKK mm-hmm. outfit or whatever. But, mm-hmm. but he had the, the, the left-wing insurance, and so no repercussions from that. He, he get, he, his racism, it's been immunized. He's taken the vaccine, which is hopping on board with the Democratic Party. And that, that's what I'm arguing that the left offers people. Whatever your sin is, being a leftist covers it. If, if, if you're sexually promiscuous, sexually harassed women, uh, if you racist, either direct, black, white, whatever direction, if, if you're, again, it offers black people the ability to be racist and say all kinds of terrible things about white people, but it's okay. You're a leftist, you're a liberal, and so it's all okay. And that, that I, I think, I disagree with it, but I got to call it's a brilliant strategy because people are buying this insurance and bending to the will of the left so they can be protected from their sin. It's a license to wreck your life and wreck culture and do whatever you want with no condemnation at all. And that is one of our struggles as Christians, right? Because we can be seen as people who hand out condemnation and people don't want to be around that. It's not that fun. But if done properly and mixed with the grace of Jesus, then you're telling people, hey, here's what God would have you do. And it's going to provide such a such a more fulfilling life than the one given to you when you think you can roll out your own values and create your own world. So I, I do think part of that's a shortcoming of Christians. And the left has, has just said, you know, you are God. Do whatever you want. That'll be the most fulfilling thing. We'll never judge you for any of that. You do need to buy into our values, and then we will have your back on virtually anything you could do the rest of your life. So I agree. It's, it's a good plan. It will collapse, right? This is what I keep saying about Christianity. The Christian values are undefeated, right? God is not going anywhere. He created the world. So, so long as we stand here with our Christian values, they will still be, even though we're not um, executing them perfectly. When we stand here and say, I'm not doing that, my family's going to be a lot better because of that, right? As for me and my house, we, we will serve the Lord. The families who aren't doing that, their families are going to crumble. And we're going to be standing here trying to help them out of it. And it's going to continue, right? You go down into this cultural rot and you think that you're your own God and you can do whatever you want. And you think you join the left and they're, they're going to protect you. Protect you from what, right? Your own idea of what's right and wrong. They're just going to reinforce that it's okay for you to sin. And then who's going to be there to pick up the pieces when ultimately your sin leads to destruction? Because that's what's coming. And so I don't think of myself as handing out condemnation. I I think of myself as trying to hand out, hey, here's a success plan. Here are the Mm -hmm. right things that I did. I'm going to tell you the wrong things I did and what the consequences of those. 
but here are the right things I did that helped push me along the way and make me successful. And, and, and I will point out, well, that guy's not giving you good advice. Those are actually things that won't take you down the proper course and path. But uh, I want to switch up uh, and talk about your favorite topic, uh, Tom Brady. Uh, Bart mm -hmm. Scott uh, has come out with a statement that defensive players uh, feared Peyton Manning far more than Tom Brady. Let's play the clip. For me, like, I'd much rather go against Tom Brady every day of the week than to go against Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. That's how you feel. It, that's yeah. how I, I believe that's how everybody feels. Interesting. I like, like that. In the heyday, you, you well, never, ever have I said, let's also point out, I'm so afraid of Tom Brady. <laughs> I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree with him. Hmm. I think players... Players, I've, I've heard this from many players, and I believe this. I believe players feared Peyton Manning. I believe defensive coordinators feared Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. I, I, Peyton Manning's choice to basically be his own offensive coordinator and exercise so much control over his offensive unit, defensive coordinators love that. The opposing head coaches love that. That guy's out there on the football field running around trying to outthink me, a guy that's either in the press box or standing on the sidelines, taking no hits, not running around. I can outthink Peyton Manning. Tom Brady bowed to Bill Belichick, whoever his offensive coordinator was, and just did his job. I think opposing coaches feared Tom Brady. I think opposing players feared Peyton Manning more uh, than they did Tom Brady. Interesting take. I can see that. I will tell you that what Peyton did, uh, I mean, he was a football genius. Nobody would argue that watching. You could watch a single one of his games and see that he was a football genius. He would, he would, you know, come up to the line with 15 seconds left in the play clock. He'd change the entire formation. He'd finally get everybody set up. He'd call out 15 audibles, uh, three different Omahas. Then he'd snap the ball at the half second left and he'd run for a three yard gain. And you'd say, what was the point of that? And he'd be able to tell you, I just got us out of a seven yard loss. Okay. We had the worst play for the worst defense. I saw it all come and there was a three yard gain. That's a win for us. What I would tell you about Tom Brady is that that was built into the offense. You would not believe I stole the playbook. I actually uh, don't, don't tell the Patriots. I still have the playbook because I was so fascinated by how thick it was. It's like an encyclopedia. It was all built in. So if you've ever seen it, this, this is probably true. I haven't paid close enough attention in Tampa Bay. But the Patriots routinely called two plays, and this is because their entire staff, including Tom, who is a massive part of this game plan, they knew based on tendencies and personnel and having played in the same division for so long with the same coaches and everybody, um, they knew by all accounts, where on the field they were going to be needing certain plays and what the coverage and the defensive lineup was going to be against them. So they call two plays. And when you see Tom Brady come up to the line and he touches helmet on both sides, he'd say, alert, alert. They just changed to the play 
for what was the secondary coverage. And based on that change, they have routes. They have routes on each side. They, they do it a little bit differently than you'd have it in a normal offense. Um, a lot of like the old West Coast offenses would be numerical, right? It'd be, you know, 999 go, whatever it'd be. And, and that was your routes. They called it right side, left side, right? And so you'd come in and call a play for cover two over here, for cover three over here. And then your secondary would play would be, okay, cover zero all out blitz over here and one safety over the top, right? So they had it all there. And then within those plays, they had options in the plays. So I'm getting really far into the weeds, but all I'm trying to tell you is that Tom Brady didn't have to go change 17 things because the offense was so complex. The answer was built in. So I'm not going right. I'm going left. I changed the second play. Now I'm going right. And I'm going to the slot and not the outside guy. And the slot's got three options based on the coverage. And we're still going to get our seven yards. And you don't need to see me come up with five different audibles and move the tight end to the other side and get everything set up. I'm just going to throw it over there. And that's a way more efficient way to go about it. I will tell you, I think Bart Scott, that was a two, two and a half minute uh, clip. We just played a small part of it. He actually talks about when he was in Baltimore, they had that amoeba defense. I think he got embarrassed by Peyton Manning a couple times. I think he wasn't very good at disguising his blitzes. I think he wasn't very good at playing the game that Ray Lewis was great at playing. I think he got busted a couple times. And there's nothing worse than having to go back into the film room when all your buddies know that you gave away the blitz and Peyton Manning ran right at where you were supposed to be and they went for a touchdown. It's because you were too stupid to disguise it. I think Bart Scott's got a little bit of a vendetta there uh, because he got busted a few too many times and that's where it comes from. Uh, Thank you, TJ. Uh, Great job. Uh, We'll see you uh, next week. Uh, I want to take care of a little business uh, before I ask Maj Ture and Shamika Michelle to make it make sense. Uh, Do you really control your retirement money? If you've got a 401k or IRA or similar retirement plan, the government controls it. They decide how much you can borrow and when you must pay it back. You will also owe taxes and penalties for taking money out too soon, even though it's your money. Thanks to our skyrocketing national debt, who knows how much you'll have to pay in taxes during a retirement that could last 30 years. Thankfully, Bank on Yourself is a better way to grow and protect your hard-earned money. This retirement plan alternative has never had a losing year in over 160 years. No volatility. Your plan doesn't go backwards when the markets tumble. Both your principal and growth are locked in. You have control of your money without government penalties or restrictions on how much income you can take or when you can take it. Perhaps the best reason of all, you'll get peace of mind because you'll know the minimum guaranteed value of your plan on the day you plan to tap into it and at every point along the way. You can get a free report with all the details of how adding bank on yourself to your financial plan can help you take back control of your money. Just go to bankonyourself.com fearless. That's bankonyourself.com fearless. Take control of your finances. I'm so tired of looking at the stock market every day and this collapse. We need to be in control. We need to be self-sufficient. That's what you want to be as a fearless soldier. Uh, Maj Ture, make it make sense. Next. I kind of like this uh, new concept. Also, like those are old photos of me, and I can see, see, Christian. That's what I look like when I'm over 300 pounds. 
Did you see those pictures? Play that again so Christian can see it. I like this make it make sense open. Uh, let's play that again. Uh, Christian, uh, come around here on, on the camera side. Uh, I just, nope, come up, stand in front of the camera. I just want people, now look into the camera. and say, That was the fat Jason Whitlock. Uh, what? Yeah. That was the, can you tell the difference between that fat Jason Whitlock and the Jason Whitlock sitting before you now? Yeah. Yeah. Why'd you have to think about that, Christian? You had to think about that. You wore uh, a black jacket this morning. I thought you looked thinner. Uh, but you but, thought uh, I was 320 pounds. You know what that means? What you thought? How much did you think I used to weigh, Christian? Over 400. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ask stupid questions, win stupid prizes. I just won one. Wow. Mm. Don't ask young people uh, a question. They'll tell you the truth. Uh, anyway, uh, without further ado, I want to bring Maj Ture into this discussion because th there's some guy, I think it, Roosevelt Rapley, he, he was shot while committing armed robbery, and his sisters, uh, no, his brother and sister, his siblings, uh, gave an interview to a local uh, television network. Now keep it, their brother went and robbed, I believe, a Dollar, dollar General store with a gun and he ended up getting shot. Listen to how his siblings reacted. Now look in your own hand and bring a gun to work for safety, period. These siblings are furious. Their brother, who police say was an armed robber, was gunned down by a store clerk. The pair acknowledges it was, he, that he was wrong for Roosevelt Rapley to try and rob the Dollar General on North Gettysburg Avenue, but they say the clerk shouldn't have had a gun at work. Rochelle and Juan Rapley say their younger brother, Roosevelt Rapley, was the second of 10 siblings killed by gunfire. I still don't believe it. Like, at the end of the day, I don't believe my brother is dead. They, like, it ain't kicked And they're furious about how it happened. At the end of the day, that's not right. Police say a Dollar General clerk shot and killed 23-year-old Roosevelt, who showed a gun and demanded cash Wednesday. Witnesses indicated that the weapon was brandished and pointed at, at employees. The siblings recognize their brother's wrongdoing. He got some responsibility, but not all. But they say that still doesn't warrant the clerk's actions. Right and wrong is wrong. That was wrong for that clerk to shoot my brother in the chest. Yes, he's robbing y'all. Oh, well. Call the police. That's what you're supposed to do. Y'all not supposed to take matters in your own hands. If that's the case, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. I don't know if I can get anybody better than Maj Ture to make that make sense. Maj, please, the floor is yours. Take as much time as you need. Make it make sense. I can't. <laughs> Yo, so first, I, I got to say, I'm not laughing because the, the young brother got, you know, gunned down. Um, I'm not, you know, I know his family loves him and all of that. I, I'm somewhat laughing at this erroneous take that somehow a person that's getting a firearm pointed at them because they're at work, they don't have the means to defend themselves. That's completely absurd. What I can say from her perspective, if she lives, I'm willing to bet that that's a Democrat city. I'd, I'd bet that if I had to. 
from her perspective, in those cities, you don't have the means to defend yourself. You're not supposed to take the human right to defense and defend your life from bad guys. You're supposed to stand there, get robbed, just accept it, have a story to tell and move on. So from her perspective, under that foolish logic and system that's there, I can understand why she says it that way. But I mean, you know, there's a lot of missing logic there, even down to the other, you know, the other sibling, the brother saying it's, it hasn't hit me yet that my brother's dead. Yeah, he's dead, bro. Like he tried to rob a location. The guy had a firearm. You put his life in imminent danger and he shot your brother's center mass. I, I, I guess that makes sense in, in some sense of I can't process information. And that's consistent with the sister's inability to process information. So those are the areas that make sense. They have an inability to process logic and information. Um, they live in a city more than likely, and I'm rolling the dice, but I'd bet they live in a city that frowns upon people having the means to defend themselves and, and, and from imminent death. And so because of that, they have landed on the space that it's wrong for their brother to have been shot simply because he's at work. So, yeah, that's how it absolutely makes sense. Mm. I'm going to have to marinate on that. Maj, I appreciate you uh, coming on and trying to make it make sense. Uh, l let me just add one little other little question. My producer is insisting that I weigh 320 pounds and that I used to weigh 400 pounds. Can you make that make sense? Do, do I look like someone right now that weighs 320 pounds? Listen, Christian, whatever gummies that you ate on the way to work today, you know, we got to save those for after work, my brother. Our brother Jason looks great. He's slimming down. That picture alone shows you a clear-cut difference. You know, his it, it, Christian's reaction time is a little slow right now because the gummy bears, those special... Gummy bears got him feeling a little crazy right now. How about just kissing your boss's rear end and just lying? How about just how about just lying? You know, resort to that. But these young people, they only know the truth. Uh, thank you, Maj. Appreciate it. Uh, get your fearless army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Also, in the comments right now, can you make that video make sense? Give me your best explanation, uh, particularly if you're on youtube.com slash Jason give me your best explanation uh, of what that brother and sister were trying to say. Make it make sense for me, please. Again, I, I got, if you guess my weight or you're within five pounds, uh, somebody's gonna win, what'd I say, 20 bucks? If they guess it exactly, I may send them $100, I'll figure out how to cash app you or whatever. Uh, but if you can make that make sense to me, I may send you some more money. All right, uh, Shamika Michelle. X. Look how good I look. We need to keep playing that uh, thing over and over again because it's such a contract. Look how good I look now. Everybody but Christian can see it. Uh, Shamika Michelle, uh, Jussie Smollett, or Smollett or whatever, I don't know his name. Uh, <laughs> he did an interview with someone where 
basically, anyway, he tried to say that if he faked this hate race hoax crime, then he's a POS piece of doo-doo. Uh, let's, let's watch the clip, and then I need you to make it make sense for me. I think what you have to realize is, is that for someone like me that represented his entire, my entire career, my, but, my, but more importantly, my entire life, along with my family, represented social justice, represented equity and equality and all of these types of things. And we, we're fighters and we're, we're, we fight with love so deeply. And this is what we preach because it's what we believe. It's like finding out that someone is exactly the opposite of who they claim to be. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a fr- if I had done this, I'd be a piece of shit. Yeah. And I don't think that that is, I don't think that that is kind of, that's not really questionable. Mm-hmm. I actually agree with Jesse Smollett, but uh, please make it make sense, please. Jason, this is, if I'm going to take this lie to my grave was a person. This is shaggy. It wasn't me. You know, it doesn't make sense. And it's the oldest trick in the book. You state a few facts and hope that you can pull the audience in to also make them agree with your conclusion. It would be like me saying last night I made pepper steak over rice. It was my second fact is it was the one of the best plates of pepper steak I have ever had. My third statement would be I make the best pepper steak in the world. That's not necessarily true. I stated two facts. I made pepper steak last night. It was some of the best pepper steak I've ever had. It doesn't mean that it's the best pepper steak in the world. Jesse Smollett said a lot of good things in that interview, some things that I agreed with. He talked about how when he was locked up for six days, he fasted and he got clarity. Like, yeah, that's what happens when you fast. That's the intention so you can get clarity and feel closer to God. And he was like, oh, you know, that's what we do. That's what my family, that's what we do. A lot of people fast, Jesse. It's, it's not really, you know, something that's great that only your family does. He stated how the prison system wasn't really for rehabilitation. A lot of us feel that way. He stated some facts, but it doesn't mean that he's innocent. To me, I see mental illness right here because he's holding on to this lie. Jesse, I don't understand how you want us to think that you said two white men attacked you, yet they were two African men. Like, how do you make that mistake? You know, it's crazy that he's even running with this, but... I guess when you tell a lie, you know, so much, you start to believe it. And then there was a couple times he got choked up and it's like, when in doubt, cried out because that was supposed to add to it. You know, this, it, it doesn't make sense, Jason. We can't make sense of this, but to say this is mental illness in action. This is what it is. You know what? I, I got to say, I'm going to sympathize with him. I, I, I've, I have deluded myself occasionally with my own lies and have bought my own pile of BS. And, and, and one example, just relating it to this discussion I've been having all day, I think we have the old picture of me when I was, 
I was doing an interview out in Las Vegas. That, that used to be me. And Christian, I don't know if, can you see that picture? That used to be me. Uh, and, and looking like that, I used to tell myself that I look like Idris Elba. Uh, <laughs> and look, if you had, if I looked like that, I would be more accepting of you saying that I look like 320 pounds right now. Uh, could you make it make sense how this young man, this relatively new employee could disrespect me the way that he has today? Uh, make it make that make sense for me and then we're going to get out of this show. Jason, I think you look amazing now. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at that picture and I'm like, wow, gosh, you you were fat. You look great now. And, and I'm just I still got more work to do. Well, looking at that picture, Jason, you have done wonders. It's like you had a magic wand. This, this, and <laughs> abracadabra, because that looks fabulous. And so I just want to applaud you on your hard work. Maybe you can listen to Jussie. Go on, you know, continue doing your fasting like you did a couple weeks ago so you can have that clarity. Maybe that's what we were supposed to get out of Jesse's uh, hour-long interview of lies, was that fasting brings clarity and brings us closer to God. And look at you. Look how fabulous you look for fasting. That's what we were supposed to get out of it. But otherwise, I can't even believe Jesse thinks that we're going to fall for that lie. Like we saw it with our own eyes. When I saw the video of the young man, I automatically told my friend, that looks like black men. Like black men have a certain swag. They have a certain walk to them. You know, I felt like that was black men from the beginning. Black men walk like, I got something for you, girl. You know, my white <laughs> friends, I'm not saying you don't have it. It's just a little bit different. It's more like, hey, lady, I got something for you. So we saw this with our own eyes. And no matter what Jesse says, we know he's lying. Sorry, Jesse. It, well, it doesn't make sense. You're leaving out that this particular group of men actually were like, hey, Jesse, I got something for you. True. <laughs> yeah. He so wanted true. to put his kickstand on Jesse. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I think I hear tomorrow. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Uh, Christian won't be back. This is his final day. I think he just put in his resignation. Or he's going to have a better uh, prediction on what I weigh come tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in line. Like freedom Came like a fighter Striking like a ladder Making all this moves for freedom I want freedom No negotiation, my system, no relation We all just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving, all deceiving We all wanna be free.